Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek on Krypton Radio, and of course, downloadable on your podcatcher of choice. Before we embark on our mission tonight, I just want to introduce our valiant crew. We have Captain Squee. Hello. We have Ambassador Nicola. Hello. And we have the Admiral, Elliot Byers. Evening. I am Commodore James T. King, but please, call me Jim. Hi, Jim. I'm loving it. <laughs> so for our second episode, guys, we're moving on to some of the later original series Star Trek films. And I think it's fair to say we've got a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like we go to the two extremes tonight. Yeah, yeah I think, very I think so. But maybe we'll um, surprise everyone and it won't go the way they're going to think. Ooh. I think it's important everyone knows that it's the 6th of December that we're recording this episode as it is the 24th anniversary of one of the films that we'll be doing tonight. Awesome. Excellent. Very timely. And just a sheer coincidence that we picked this date as well. It is. It's almost as if we planned it. And I say almost (laughs) because we totally did not plan it. Let's pretend like we're that organised. Oh, yeah, we definitely are, as anyone who didn't witness the technical problems we've just had can attest to. So without they further ado, then, shall we, shall we get moving on? Yeah, let's boldly go. For our first film, then, the year is 2287. Kirk is climbing rocks. Spock is suited and jet-booted. And God is having some transport problems. It can only be Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yes, the uh, two-hour answer to what does God want with the starship and all he wanted all along was power steering. <laughs> I think we should start with the positives. Okay, that, that'll be nice and quick then. It will. Who wants to go first? So should we move on to the <laughs> negatives? <laughs> okay, uh, let's go with... There is... Uh, no, no, I've lost it now. I, I did have something, but it's gone. I've got something. Yeah, go, go, go. Um, I think the campfire scenes are very nice and show camaraderie between Kirk, Spock and Mackay. Yes. I I actually also love the bit where they're trying to teach him row, row, row your boat and Spock is just not getting it in the first instance. You know, that... I like that bit because they do that thing that Star Trek tends to do where they name real songs and then name a made-up song that's presumably happened in between present day and now. Because doesn't he say, Moon over Rigel 12, when they're discussing which song they're going to... Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's always, like, the list, and you always uh, mention loads of things which people understand to get the reference, and then you chuck in a sci-fi one which is made up. Yeah, Yeah. that's always good. So I'd like to hear Moon over Rigel 12. It's probably on one of Shatner's albums, actually. I, I would sing it, but my, my throat's a little pitchy tonight. Otherwise, you know, I, d- I wouldn't do it justice. No, I mean, maybe we'll save it for like a, a charity single or something further down the line. <laughs> we did charity last week. This is all for us this time. Absolutely. This is, this is all about the Latinum. <laughs> but, but I mean, what you were saying before about the row, row your boat scene, uh, there are some lovely bits and there's some lovely characterization. But even then, there's some really bad dialogue which is chucked in. And it's just, uh, I mean, but yeah, talking about that first scene, uh, again, you're right. The setup's kind of quite nice. The idea of them camping, 
bits are a little bit cheesy maybe but it kind of it's working okay but just I mean, there's feed lines dialogue. There's one bit which actually I did really like, where they say about gravity, and it's like, uh, uh, "Oh, C- Captain, I believe you don't believe that you realise the gravity of your situation." And he goes, "Oh no, gravity's foremost on my mind because he's climbing rock." Very funny, you know. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I remember once I saw that on TV, and uh, I don't know why, but I put the subtitles on, and it totally ruined the joke because it's like, uh, uh, "Captain, I don't think you realise the gravity of your situation," and Kirk's like uh subtitle was no i realize my situation is grave grave indeed just totally killed the joke who's doing the subtitles there i don't know but they (laughs) they don't have a sense of humor (laughs) well they're obviously not actually copying what he's saying either (laughs) yeah how bizarre is that did you watch the rest of the film with the subtitles on uh oh i don't remember just for some reason that particular one sticks in my mind I was just thinking it might have made more sense, maybe, if this guy were going off on a tangent and putting his own spin on events. You mean he's done what the film actually needs and rewritten it? I was going to say, maybe I should have kept them on. Maybe he did a better job with the rest of it. See, see, for me, with regards, sorry, to the boots, I mean, Spock seemed to be having fun with those boots. So, I mean, and, you know, when does he have fun? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so those boots, you know, a little bit of his playful side on him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the only one having film in this. Yeah, show. he <laughs> is. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, but, but you got another bit where it's like in the same scene, you've got uh, McCoy down on the ground with the glasses, and they do the worst kind of punmanship there. It's like he's going, it's like, oh, gonna give me a heart attack in a minute. I'll be talking to myself. Brunch. Yeah, that's not it's not amazing. And that sequence has the what must be the worst green screen in the history of cinema when Kirk <laughs> falls off the rock and well, you see sort of plummeting down. It's just it's so cheap and nasty. To be fair though, in that movie that's actually one of the better effects. Because that <laughs> the effects fair. all the way through the movie. Are shockingly bad. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I mean, I was reading about this, and apparently, uh, Industrial Light and Magic had done the effects for the first four Star Trek films, but that year they were a little bit busy doing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, oh. and oh, there was another big film that year that they were working on as well, and so basically they couldn't do it. So they went to this other company that was people who used to work for Industrial Light and Magic but no longer work for. <laughs> Perhaps there's a reason they no longer work for industrial light and magic looking at Star Trek V. <laughs> I mean, I think the worst effect for me is during the battle with, uh, well, say battle, but the bit where they get up from uh, Nimbus 3 and they do Operation B for Barricade, mm-hmm. and then the shuttle gets into the Enterprise oh. and it warps away. The shot of the Enterprise warping away, they've not filmed a model what they've done is they've taken the visual of the Enterprise, they've cut round the visual element, and they've slid it across the frame, which is what they used to do in cheap filmation cartoons like He-Man and stuff, where they'd just move the cell rather than actually, you know, filming something in motion. And that's what they've done for this shot of the Enterprise. It's just so cheap. It's awful. All of the effects are bad. It could really do with the guys who read it Remastered the TOS series. It could do with them guys going into that movie. It'd improve it so much if the effects were done up again. 
I think yeah. it's a case of they are not willing to throw any more money at this film. Yeah, and also if you've got good visuals to it, it would just ruin the flow of it being crap all around. You know, you, you've got to have consistency. <laughs> William Shatner is on record that it needs $3 million to sort that Star Trek V out. Yeah. So you need the CGI redoing, and he wants rock monsters. Yeah, the rock he monsters also... bit I'm still not sure about. It needs a better script. <laughs> no one understands the rock monsters, but William Shatner is on record that the God scene needs rock monsters as well, and it, it'll work then. Yeah, he's not willing to put his hand in his pocket, because I think William Shatner could copper up $3 million if it meant that much to him, but I, I clearly just, it doesn't. I just, like, of all the things I think which could be improved in this movie, all the things I think it could use, I don't see that God scene and going, some rock monsters, and then it would be perfect. I, th- I think in summary, okay. it sounds like it really needs putting back in the mincer <laughs> and then trying again. <laughs> I mean, you say rock monsters wouldn't make that scene any better. Let me put it to you this way. Would rock monsters make that scene any worse? Could anything make this film worse? <laughs> no, I mean, but, no. You were, you were saying about the positive. I do want to, you know, we we talk about in the opening, course. and in the opening, you do have this wonderful uh, these little vignettes with all the guys and what they're up to. So it's a really yeah. nice Chekhov and Sulu scene. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. I, I kind of like the way they've got the flaying between. Uh, Scotty and her at the beginning. That's uh, quite nice. And it... comes, she oh, makes a I'm nice not dinner. sure I like that. Do you not? You well, did... I... She was bringing her a nice dinner. What? Oh, she invited him for dinner. I can't remember. Well, did she invited brought... They were meant to meet for dinner, and then she brought him some rations, which that he thought it, was yeah. great. Because it was too busy. Yeah. It just yeah. seems to come out of nowhere. Like, let's have this pseudo romance thing with Scotty and a horror and it's just what what are we doing maybe it was just unspoken all this time yeah maybe so it makes, yeah. to be fair it makes more sense than what the new movies have done with Spock and a horror we'll get there I'm, we'll get there see so. I, I don't know about that but we will get there in a future episode <laughs> but okay let, okay, I will I will take your point that the we'll accept the romance between Scotty and a horror but Answer me this then. Scotty cannot be giving her what she needs because she feels the need to strip off and do dances for strange men on planets. Or she was liberated well, she, by Scotty. To be fair, she has got a history of stripping off. She did do Playboy. Did she? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the actress, not the character, though. This wasn't Space yeah, Playboy. Yeah, she I'm has got gonna... a history of, of being quite willing to strip off. I'm just going to open up my Internet Explorer while we... <laughs> Actually, I'm going to do the no, same. I mean, what I was going to say there is, you know, Nichelle Nichols is, you know, unquestionably a beautiful woman, yeah. but maybe her naked fan dancing days were behind her at the point this film was made. Yeah, they were all well... Mm. Probably well past middle-aged. <laughs> yes, and what's amazing is... You have this where she turns up and there's these guys who are presumably the guards. And they go, huh? Is that a lady? Ooh. And they're like running to they, look at this thing. It's like, oh, God. They've really been out on a desert planet for a long like, time. 
we didn't see it in the movie, movie, but what was the conversation between her and Kirk? I've got an idea how we can distract these guys. <laughs> Just a second while I strip off. Oh, and I'll get these feathers that I brought in the shuttle with me. <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying that you would have preferred maybe Scotty doing a fan dance or... <laughs> I don't know, I, just throwing it out I'm there. saying that I when one... all things bizarre. <laughs> yeah, when, when one is attempting to prevent diplomatic incidents, a fan dance is not always the best approach. And, I think that mission what... could have been completed in a different fashion. Mm. And what was going through her head that she took the fans on the mission with her in the first place in the short round? I think Kurt. Because you're not going to tell I me think... she just found them lying about in the desert. Uh, no, Scotty and her take them for the weekend, that sort of thing. That's what I'm I, I think it was I'm just. Feeling. I think it was just from the supplies that Kirk always has on him, just for some. <laughs> in case he runs into a nice woman. Kurt knows his career's starting to wind up. He's like, I'm going to do all the things I wanted to do, but was too worried about getting sacked. I'm going to see if I can make my staff do the fan dance. I'm going to make Spock wear jet boots, because that's always too fun I'm going to make a horror do the fan dance. I'm going to let Chekhov pretend that he's the captain for five minutes. So... He's, he's just indulging people left, right and centre. And do you know what, actually? From all that, I'm kind of getting the feeling that somewhere a writer was high at the time. And his when name was writing. Bill Shatner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would explain so much. Uh... It would explain a lot. <laughs> okay, one thing I do have to praise, and this is... I don't know if this is intentional... But it's possibly one of the weirdest Easter egg in-jokes I've ever come across. So when they get into the main building on Nimbus 3, do you remember Kirk having a fight with a three-breasted cat woman? Yes. On the, yeah. Was it in the, yeah. on the pool table, wasn't it, that was made That's of water? It. Yes. Or the, with the, yeah, it. Yeah. It's a pool table made of water. Yeah. So it's a table that's a pool. Mm. So it's a <laughs> yeah. pool table. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly. That's genius. Yeah, this is a film where you have to really look for the positives. And if a pool table amuses me, I'm going to take that as a positive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you take it where you can. I mean, like Dave Warner's in this, and Dave Warner's a fantastic actor. He hasn't been given anything to work with, but he's a great actor. But we might move on to a film shortly where he does get something to work with. So yeah, I mean, back to, it's kind of weird. These in back-to-back Star Trek movies as different characters. They obviously liked him. They were like, "Look, you need a better shot at this. That was not fair yeah. to do to you." I think Star Trek Six was their way of apologising to him and going, "Look, we we do have a proper film." Apologising to him, apologising to the audience, apologising to everyone concerned. <laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised Shatner didn't spend the whole like Captain Kirk didn't spend the whole of uh, Star Trek shit six in the naughty corner. He knows what he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just not in Star Trek six, and nobody speaks of it. <laughs> no, no, just just once, just once. Someone asks, like, uh, anyone seen the captain? No, and he knows why. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Another bit that uh, I I like for possibly not the right reasons, is when you have this sequence where they're going up from Nimbus 3 back to the Enterprise and they fly the shuttle in and you have the awful effects and blah, blah, blah. You have the Klingon guy and his plan 
is to open fire on this shuttle and destroy it. And in that way, he will have made a great victory because he will have killed Captain Kirk and that will get him great honour and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I can't imagine him going back to the Klingon homeworld and telling the story about how he gloriously shot down an unarmed shuttle while it was transporting hostages to safety. And you'd have everyone going, oh, that we will sing songs of the bravery of destroying the shuttle, which could only go at impulse and have no weaponry of any kind. <laughs> but isn't the suggestion here is he, he's a kind of disgraced Klingon anyway? He is by the end of the film. I think he's he's trying to prove himself by... I think I didn't think he was disgraced. I thought he was young trying to work his way up. I think that's well, what it is, and I think it's that he doesn't like that the Klingons are starting to be more diplomatic, so he's yeah. trying to assert himself by basically killing Captain Kirk, but... It's just, you'd have to zhuzh it up a bit and go, you know, they were in this warship that yeah. tried to take us down. Maybe it's not then so much that he's, sorry, not disgraced, but maybe more that he's kind of just dishonourable. And he's the ilk of Klingon, which, you know, isn't the fantastic, like, wharf mould. He's more kind of uh, the Juras kind of family who, who yeah, will lie in yeah. deceit and then just make up stories to suit what he did in the past. I was going to say, alternatively... I mean, and I don't want to discriminate or say anything about men in general. However, okay, you guys. know, at the end of the day, when he goes to tell those stories, they're not going to be hostages. It's like going to be 50,000 men he's taken on all by himself. <laughs> Un- unarmed. Yeah, exactly. well, unarmed himself. Like, and they've all got it... weapons of mass destruction. That's <laughs> how the story's going to go. <laughs> yeah. Klingon culture, however he killed Kirk, he would be a hero. Yeah. He would have honour because... Kirk is an enemy of the Klingons, so it would find honour in killing Kirk anyway. Like I, they have no problem with cloaking devices, did it, to sneak up on an enemy? I think he'd have a few problems explaining it to Kaelas when he's trying to get into um, <laughs> Stovokar. Stovokar, yeah. I yep. think Feklar would probably want to take him for the dishonour, but um, so he's sort of the secondary antagonist in this film. The main one is Cybok. Yes. Yeah. What is what is the crack with Cybok? <laughs> like I've I've watched this film I don't know how many times. Oh, is dear. he brainwashing people or are they following him willingly? I think it's the whole idea that the Vulcans have this kind of um, these mental abilities, these telepathic abilities, and he's used his in such a way to because like they they get rid of emotion, he doesn't. He can use mm. his in a way to unlock your emotional core, which probably other Vulcans could do, but they've chosen not to. Is my take on that? Yeah. So it's kind because my issue with it is, if it is kind of sort of a mind control thing, then it doesn't really make sense that McCoy and Spock can resist it. But if it is, well, just what doesn't a... make sense is when he's doing. Using his mind control on McCoy and Spock, that the others can see what's going on. That's a very that the others good are watching point. it. It, it that uh, ma- that makes no sense I've whatsoever. I can justify that. I mean that 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 seems an okay justification that you could say that he's using his mental powers so anyone like around can tap into that, or he's chosen to show them it, as in, like, look what I'm doing to save him. You could have this. So he's choosing to let them see it. I, I could justify yeah. that as that. Go on, we'll give it that one. 
What's weird yeah. is that that has never we'll give it once. That just. <laughs> it's never dawned on me, hasn't that? And the the <laughs> other thing is, if it's not mind control and it is just unlocking your inner core and putting you at peace and all this, it doesn't say a lot for the rest of the crew that they quite willingly go along with it. You know, it it's and it's never. Well, of course, it's only never William clearly... Shatner could could have the mental fortitude to oh. resist. Oh, sorry, I wasn't. Yeah, you're right. I forgot this was a Shatnerverse film rather than a <laughs> rather than a standard Star Trek film. It's not indulgent at all. No, no, not whatsoever. <laughs> Actually, can I just uh, quickly before I forget? There's a, a little bit of a tidbit. You mentioned uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade before. Yeah. The person who was originally up for, oh, they wanted for uh, Cyborg was uh, Sean Connery, ah, which is why the planet yeah. is called Shakari. Sean Connery. Shakari, yeah. I have a very good idea what he'll have said if he looked at this script. <laughs> no uh, way. Yeah. Like, I'd rather go up uh, with Harrison Ford on a on a horse. Yeah. You want me to play Shybok, the brother of Spock? <laughs> this is going to be a problem. <laughs> it's just I mean, he would have been better. I I won't deny that. But I mean if they had a got Sean Connery, then Bill had needed a lot more than three million to do his rock monsters because your budget had gone out the window <laughs> getting the guy, Connery. The guy who's playing, I mean, well, I'm guessing the budget probably would have swelled with adding Connery to the cast because they would have given them more money for a film with Sean Connery. Uh, but yeah, I mean, probably. I, I'm just thinking, I, I don't think the guy who's playing Cyborg was bad. I mean, he was a fine no, actor. It's I, just, do, I don't. Yeah. I I think he did. He played it quite well with the script he was given. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he didn't have a lot to work with. Sadly, by the and, end though of the film, I'd actually was going in that of consciousness. I think so. No, truly, I was. So that the end bit, I was like, I always have to really think really hard about the ending. <laughs> which is more was... than anybody involved in the production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly not Shatner. I mean, would Sean Connery, I may have actually stayed awake. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But it is the one Star Trek film that I was like really swaying in and out of. I think it's the one Star Trek film that is legitimately a bad film. I mean, it, it's just not good, bless no, it. No. It tried. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's also the there's thing There's so that... much wrong with it. Have... Even with even with the CGI done up, etc., to make it look better, it would still be a bad film. Has Bill Shatner got you on a retainer or something putting <laughs> this idea forward? <laughs> I wish. He's got the rock monster money over there. Yeah. <laughs> if you can say no, it more than a few with, times... Even with all CGI, the movie would not be saved. No, I mean, it's, if, it's a bad. It is a bad movie. It is. It's badly written. Yeah, I mean, we've not even got into like the continuity stuff that it throws up. Like, how do they get to the center of the galaxy within the space of about five minutes? Why's the center of the galaxy got a big shield round it? And you know, all this stuff is just crazy. Why, why but... isn't the center of the galaxy bigger than um, Voyager in the first film? <laughs> Yeah, they took their time traveling between that. Though I would recommend um, there's a series of books I think they're called the Q Continuum Trilogy by Greg Cox, and they tie up lots of loose ends and try and tie together lots of continuity. So the being in the center of the galaxy is explained. 
he was beheaded by Q, who used the Nexus as a sword to cut off his head. Then they erected a barrier around the center of the galaxy to keep him in. But there was another evil one, so they put a barrier around the galaxy to keep that one out. Oh. Well, now you say that, I feel silly for not figuring out myself. Well, it, it's all <laughs> there if you look. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Self-explanatory. Uh, yeah, really. No, joking aside, it's a, it's a good fun book, and you're like, yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, that's yeah. what that's what it is. And he's called something like Nil, the the Godhead thing, and one of them's called um, Open Brackets Asterisk Close Brackets. That's the name of the character, which is just you know peculiar when you're trying to read it, but. Maybe they're not that great of books. It's been a while since I read them. I, the the one for oh yeah no that's that's just bizarre. The the I, I, the other thing which I was thinking when I was watching it back is there was it's that thing which Shatner decides to bring in this never heard of half brother of Spock. Yeah. And if you've read some of his novels, he tries to sort of justify him being a brother of Spock through Sarek doing a mind mind meld with him. Okay. It's it's so contrived. I think Shatner just really likes the idea that everyone's brothers and sisters, and he likes these um sort of plot twists which aren't evidenced at all. And there's, I, I just yeah. it just doesn't work for me. This whole maybe he's thing. just avant garde yeah. and he's he's operating on a level that we're just not we're not ready yeah. for. <laughs> well, in the last like, twenty yeah. years or so, we haven't got ready yet. No, that's it. But one day, maybe when Shatner sadly leaves us, he'll leave behind the definitive cut of Star Trek V and he's gone away and he's spent his $3 million and he's put his rock monsters <laughs> and it explains all the things. And we'll, it'll be like sort of when they find, they've just found a film by Orson Welles that's been put on Netflix and it's been the lost classic and maybe that'll be the case. Do you think it'll turn out in the end that Shatner secretly was a rock monster? It could do. <laughs> or we could find out where those fans come from. He's certainly an interesting guy. but um... I say secretly a rock monster. We've all heard the albums. Obviously, he's a rock monster. Mm. <laughs> Very his, good. His Christmas single is amazing this year. <laughs> it, it, it is on the Spotify playlist for Christmas Day. Oh. What I'm looking forward to is how long into Christmas dinner it takes people to realise that Bill Shatner's on in the background. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have a bit of William Shatner in the background. Yeah, bit of Bill. Bit, bit of Bill, Bill. for Christmas. Yeah, so, it, it reminds does me Does anyone of... have any final thoughts on Star Trek V before we move on to hopefully um, something a little bit better? No. Um, yeah, just remember Shatner's not just for Christmas, he's for life. Yeah. And sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> not in this case. This case, he would be back to the pound. Yeah, this was definitely not his finest moment. <laughs> and this no. drum should be put down. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be logical. <laughs> it's quite amazing that it didn't kill the franchise dead, really. But yeah. thankfully it didn't, because we do move on to better things. So the year this time is 2293. The crew are winding down, the Enterprise is ready to be mothballed, and the Klingons are making peace talks. It's Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It, it's just brilliant all the way through. It's hard to put any negatives on it. 
I, I assume ILM were back doing the effects. <laughs> All it, it looks like proper effects this time. Yeah, the special effects in the space battle at the end look stunning. Uh, you know, they still look great. So good they used them again in Generations, but we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that lazy movie later. <laughs> I'm saving it. But uh, I, the one thing which really strikes me is that... Star Trek 6 watching... is... It's, it's well-written. It's exciting. It looks good. It's got a great story. It was very... Um, well, in with the time it was written, with what was going on with the Cold War and the Berlin Wall coming down, etc. So it all made it tied in culturally as well. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the thing which I really noticed watching these first six movies back to back is it's really funny because they're all about the crew feeling their age and especially Kirk feeling his age. And by the end of the, this, these films, You've got the whole um, crew is ready to retire. And it's like it, with every film, uh, five maybe being the slight exception, you feel more and more pathos from that. And this one is the culmination of that. So it doesn't feel like, you know, even though they're exploring the same kind of theme, it's kind of like in the first one, it's feeling middle-aged for the first time. And like, what's your relevance? This one's you're retiring. And what will your legacy be? And I think that's a really lovely yeah. arc over those films. Yeah. And in this film, it it comes across in sort of every facet of the film. Like, you start off, you've got Sulu, who's kind of flown the nest and doing his own thing. And even the music, like when the Enterprise is leaving Space Dock for the last time, the music's beautiful, but it's just, it's melancholic. And you really do get the sense, like, this is the last time we're going to do this with these people. It, it's so well made. It's absolutely fantastic. Can I just uh, sorry, yeah. add to this? Um, it, it's actually nothing to do with this particular film, but it was just you saying about waving off to the dock, which reminded me. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed in the first couple of films, uh, when they go off from the dock, there's always someone waving at them. Have you noticed that in the first couple? We've named him Frank. Oh, yeah, I know about Frank. Have, yeah. you, have you seen him? He's sort of, he's in, first of all, he's floating in space waving them off. And then he's like somewhere else, and so we. I think he dwells out in these episodes. Uh, films. Can we talk about this in the pilot? We might have actually. I, I think don't so. know. We, we might I, have touched I on like him, but Frank. you know, Frank's Frank's a guy who'll always have a place on on this yeah, on retrain. this show. Yeah, yeah. He's a retrain favourite. What we should do is try and find out time. who it was and see if we can get him on. <laughs> yes. I mean, it won't be the longest interview. We'll just say, like, so what did you do? I, I stood there and waved, and they, they put effects in after. I want to ask him, like, did they leave you there every time? Was that the subplot? Like, you know, you were going out to do repairs, and they just sodded off without you? Yeah. We kind of started making up things like he wanted help and stuff, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, when it's it was not actually yeah. meant to be there. Yeah. And then he's not waving them off. He's trying to, you know, get their attention. Yeah, and he's going, the look, attention. you buggers, you've done <laughs> yeah. this to hey, me I'm again. Yeah. The Enterprise has got its back brake lights out and yeah. Frank's just trying to tell them before they set off. Yeah, there's someone on the ship, quick. <laughs> Oh. Anyway, if we might get back to Star Trek sorry. 6G. I, I, just <laughs> miss, I just miss Frank, I'm sorry. No, I, I just love the, um, the, you said the opening with uh, Sulu. 
what yeah. a fantastic opening to the film. And I believe this was uh, touted to perhaps be a sort of backdoor pilot with that scene or no scenes on the Excelsior of a possible TV show. It was certainly much uh, theorised on the internet. I yeah, don't know if I it mean, was officially. George Takei's banged that drum a few times over the years. Yeah, he's tried for it a lot. But didn't you want really... it? And it would be great. I'd be up for it. Yeah. But... Well, it would have been. I... Let's face it. It's a bit late now. I don't know. George is, you know, he's very sprite for a man his age. You know. Oh no, yeah, no, it's not that. Probably get away and... with him. I will, yeah, I will guarantee you if you called him up and said, do you want to do it? He would snap your hand off. No, that was my point was more. It's like, I, not that I he know. he wouldn't look great. It's just that the idea of it, like, I think if they were back during that as a pilot, they've they've left it a little late to pitch it now is my kind Maybe of thing. So. I mean, the time would have been immediately after this or yeah. after that Voyager episode where they brought him back. Which, again, yeah. I think was meant to be another attempt at yeah. launching that. Oh, that's an awful episode. I mean, it's great to see George Takei, but the whole plot about the, this last going, Tuvok, help me. Anyway, maybe we'll we'll get onto that one day. But um, yeah, so leaving the space dock is fantastic. The opening sequence is fantastic. The effects when Praxis blows up and you get the shockwave, it just looks stunning. And you know, I presume it is ILM because it looks suspiciously similar to what they did in the Star Wars special editions with the Death Star and Alderaan. Yeah, it does actually. I think Very for a, for a time that was that was our understanding of what explosions in space looks like. <laughs> there, there must be a, a shockwave and everything. Yeah, and I I just thought it was a really kind of cool idea. To have so Sully's off on his ship, which means you can start with yeah. something a bit different than going straight onto the Enterprise. And when you first see our, our the main of our crew that we we will follow, it's being called into a meeting about the events from that. Yeah, it's just such a different idea, and it just works so beautifully. And they were all, you know, um, uh, Scotty was off to his boat, and they were off to, to do their various things. And then yeah. they just called in. And it's like, what the hell's going on? It was just, it was really yeah. nicely done. It it broadens yeah, the, the universe a bit, doesn't it? That it's not the Enterprise that stumbles across something. But this one, it works much more organically. Um, yeah, you know, it works. It works really well. So we have the the meeting and everything, and um, then you know it's about the Klingons, and I love Kirk in that scene where. So he actually gets pretty nasty with his let them die. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's a side of Kirk that he's not very likable at all. Don't it's like them, don't trust them. It's well it does it goes, I don't trust them. They killed my son. Yeah. Let them die. And you can understand why he's got them emotions. You can, absolutely. And that's what's so good about it. We've we've come that uh, that far with that character that we can see the bad side of him and we still love him. This is Captain Kirk. Yeah. But we, we appreciate that he's wrong and, you know, he's going to learn his lesson in this film. But it's very brave writing to put your your main hero out there with an attitude that is not that great, you know. Well, I think it's it's the culmination. The only reason why you can get away with this is because they've had so many years. So they've had the original series, they've had all the movies up to this point, and only then can you go for something as really meaty 
as the concept of someone who has been at war with someone for so long, with an enemy for so long. So, you, you know, you get it with the Irish peace process, with so many other different examples where people suddenly have to become neighbours with people who they've just lived so long hating they have tried everything to kill each other to plant bombs under each other in the, the irish peace process to blow the hell out of their each other's starships in this this context and then they're expected to sit down and not only make peace but kirk one of the biggest probably war criminals from the perspective of the klingons has to be the one to make peace and from his perspective he's been a freedom fighter for the federation against this evil foe he, he killed his son. He spent again. his career fighting them. Yeah. And, and as he points out, they did kill his son. And, you know, it's it's a good journey for the character to go on. And the fact that he does come out the other side with a better perspective is a great cap to the character. And, yeah. and also with, with Spock, they've done the same thing of kind of like the, the motivations and the justifications are great and like the idea of uh him being the peacemaker just makes sense and he's an uh, is he an ambassador at this stage i think he's just captain no, he's still a captain so he's the yeah. he, but he's the one who sees fighting for this piece and he it, the look he gives to kirk going it's like he it's like he doesn't understand it's like what i i thought it'd be cool like we'll go for one more adventure we'll make <laughs> peace with the clowns then we'll go you know it'll be great what a great retirement thing it's like and he doesn't it's almost like he doesn't get why kirk's pestered him <laughs> yeah <laughs> because to spot it is absolutely the right thing to do and it makes sense to him that his friend would want to do that as well and you know as he says in this one you know logic is the beginning of knowledge not the end and he doesn't see past perhaps the logic of it in that instance yeah yeah i mean he's he is as always working from his position of logic but obviously he is a, a Spock who has learned the value of, of some emotion and of working with his human counterparts to get a good balance. And but but then even after all these years, there's still something as big as this he misses because uh, he's still Spock and he's still yeah. uh, uh, logic driven. And it's just yeah. the, the look on his face where it's like just he realizes he's done wrong. He's messed up. It's just brilliant. And, you know, the whole thing of, of the way it switches when Kirk starts to realise that he's in the wrong, that he, he, he should be fighting for something more, that he was frightened of change. Yeah. And at the same time, Spock is starting to realise, like, uh, well, maybe we can't do this. Maybe I was silly to, to imagine we could. And it's just great when they meet each other in that kind of in-between space. Yeah, and you have a couple of scenes, don't you, where uh, particularly at the end when they're heading to Kittimer and you get... Kirk and Spock having that sort of reflective conversation, really, where they're looking back, not just on the events of this film, but pretty much on their lives and their characters and everything. And, you know, Spock says, have we become so old, you and I? And again, there's that sense of melancholia there, but there's also a sense that they've they've reached an understanding between each other, but also they're acknowledging it to each other, which they haven't necessarily done to this point. It's kind of all bets are off in this film. You know, this is our last go round and we're going to get everything out in the open and we're going to reflect on it. And it, it's just, it's lovely. And I mean, I think we shouldn't skip, well, and I'm the one who's done it, but we shouldn't skip over the whole kind of, uh, the, the first meeting between the Klingons 
and the the uh, crew of the Enterprise when they sat down for dinner. What a glorious scene! What a kind of yeah. act, oh, what a lesson yeah. in how to act between the the uh, guys playing the Klingons. Sorry, um, it's it's a place plumber, isn't it? Chris and and War, Warner and uh, the the Klingon <laughs> lady whose name I don't know the actress, but and. Just, just the quick fire between those fantastic actors, and when yeah, it's and when Spock's oh. trying to like calm it down, and then Kirk comes in with um, Earth Hitler, nineteen forty two or whatever the year is, <laughs> yeah, and just like oh, it's great. It's sort of it's one upsmanship, and it's everything's just below the surface. But it's we're all gonna play happy families. We're all gonna make the right noises. But the subtext is could not really be clearer. It's it's a great great scene. We hate each other, but we've we've tried to make this work. It's it and, is it you could you can it, I've watched it so many times and you can feel the tension between them. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And then when when they finally beam them off at the end and they all just exhale and they start to unbutton the uniform and yeah. everything. Well, it's even yeah. just down to little nuances as well. Uh, it's, it's where everyone else is going really big and you've got this lovely little moment where Uhura turns to uh, one of her Klingon counterparts and goes, uh, do you like Shakespeare? And it turns to him with a mouthful of gut like these worms just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coming down his chin. It's just beautiful. And sorry, I, I went a bit away from the mic for the listener. That was because I was demonstrating like the worms going down the chin. Oh. <laughs> I like the fact the whole dinner is blue. It's blue. Yes. <laughs> You've got your Romulan and L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything is blue. To maybe reflect their feelings. Are you, are you, are yeah, you going, yeah. is that ah, thematic, do you think? So are we saying it's like mood food? It's mood so food. So if they were happy, <laughs> it would food. be like some bright colour. <laughs> Well, that's the future and stuff, isn't it? You know, it's mood food, yeah. Yeah, mood food. Mood we food. should market this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. First we'll merchandise. First merchandise already from Retrek. Yeah. And food. we'll have we'll have Frank the the waiver as yes. the, the spokesman for mood food. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll of course be selling our line of rock monster toys. <laughs> yeah. Rock Monster as approved by Bill Shatner. <laughs> Very much approved by Bill Shatner. <laughs> and cost three million per yeah. monster. We're already talking yeah. merchandise. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. <laughs> Absolutely. It's as they say in Spaceballs, merchandising, merchandising. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, we got the dinner scene and everything. But then on the other side of the coin, we do have some really funny scenes in this film, like the bit where the the universal translator will be recognised. So you have this mad scramble for them to find the Klingon words. Through books. <laughs> yeah, through books all of a sudden. And it, it, it is ridiculous. You know, first of all, the universal translator is never recognised, but never mind. And second of all, you know, you'd ask the computer, but never mind. It's funnier if they've got these massive dusty books and they have yeah. to go through them. <laughs> well, and I, it's just a really good scene. Well, there's loads of those. Like, you know, the, when they're... Uh... They've got the, um, uh, the Scotty and Spock, and Spock says, uh, uh, "How long will repairs take?" Oh, it'll only take like an hour. It's like uh, if if repairs take an hour, we'll have to go and we'll have to go back right now. Yeah. It's like oh, it could be weeks, sir. Very good, Mister Spock. <laughs> <laughs> Scott. But, yeah, and I like Spock's whole. I'm going to say Sherlock Holmes like, thing. Like, like that's probably the first time, to be fair, that Scotty is actually given a genuine. <laughs> 
answer of how long it's going to take him. <laughs> no, no, it, it would have only taken him. It would have only taken him twenty minutes if he quoted an hour. So yes. the situation's even more dire. He's got to really milk it this time. <laughs> That's why Spock tells him straight off. He's like, no. Because I know that you'll have this fixed within two seconds, so we need to get a blank going in. I also love it when in sci-fi they teach you little factoids. So it's like uh, when workers were fearing industrialization, yes. they they put their clogs, known as sabots, into the machinery. Hence the term sabotage. It's like sabotage, uh, and it's like, and you've got a uh, Chekhov going there. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, uh, too bad, too bad. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's 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 well written from it is the it really is the anti five. It's well written from every it's, angle. It's well, so like to be well for six they got Nicholas Mayer back, didn't they? Who did yes. Star Trek mm. two, and which is a, another one that you could arguably say is the best Star Trek movie ever made. There's a yeah. there's a couple of Star Trek movies, and one day you'll say that's the best, and another day you'll say yeah. another one's yeah. the best. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> This is definitely uh, one of Nicol- them. <laughs> yeah, and they've got Nicholas Mayer back. And, and you can tell it's just so good, a movie. The Nicholas Mayer thing's interesting because he works on Discovery now. And I do feel that the Klingon ethos, like with General Chang, his whole thing is I don't want the Federation to basically subsume the Klingon way of life. Yeah. And that is seen in Tukovma and his Klingons in Discovery, and it's interesting that Nicholas Mayer has worked on both. And it's amazing yeah. that the Klingons look so good in Six, and they look so awful in Discovery thus far. Oh, the I don't like bad. it. I don't like it. They need to. We'll get to it. Discovery at the end of January, and you're we right. can <laughs> we can have that out then. You're right. You're right. We're getting through the movies first. You're right. We yeah. are indeed. So, what, shall we what get about into? The... The sequences on Rorapente. How does that work? Well, can for we before we get there? Okay. Just because, just to get a little bit sequential, uh, can we just go into Kim Kim Cattrall for a minute? And oh, when I say yes. go into Kim Cattrall, that wasn't innuendo. I know what work she did in <laughs> Sex and the City. That wasn't meant like that. Uh, just the <laughs> fact that she, uh, I think, put us in a really good performance here, and and is multifaceted. I always get the feeling she is genuinely trying to impress. Spock, even though yeah, they, uh, are, yeah. you know, they don't agree on what they're doing, and I think it's a testament to the the script and both the actors that you believe this mentor pupil relationship, even though this is the first time we meet Valaris, but it feels like she belongs there, that she's a legitimate part of the story, and this relationship with Spock is strong. Um, I did hear that originally this was intended to be Savick. Yeah, I've heard that a lot of times. Gene Roddenberry shot it down. Um, I think perhaps that would have been more effective because looking at the film, and obviously spoilers here, uh, but looking at it objectively, it's like, right, we've got this new character that we've never met before. Of course she's going to turn out to be a baddie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I yes and no. I mean, I think there was enough uh, mystery of is she or isn't she? Yeah. But I, I would have ruined it for me if it was Savick because she, she, they set her out as being a really good character, and I don't think it you could watch been, those earlier films. It would have been disappointing end to Savick. Exactly, yeah. and also you've got the fact that this is meant to be a young mentee to Spock, whereas if it's Savick, she's been 
going for quite a while by then. You know, yeah. she's not this young, yeah. fresh-faced Falcon. Which yeah. uh, I mean, I can see both sides. For continuity, I think it would have been nice for it to have been Savic, but I'm quite happy that they didn't send Savic down that route. If yeah, that... I think it worked quite. I think it worked quite well as yeah. it is. I don't um, think it needed Savic. There's a great scene with Valaris where she goes to them two guys and she goes, "Do you men have work?" And they say, "Yes, ma'am." And she says, "Well, snap to it." And when you rewatch the film, you realise that they're the assassins, and she's telling them to go carry out the assassination. But obviously you don't get that the first time through. It's a very nicely laid film in that sense. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. but, but I, I, I did um you know turn us down on that path. You want to get on to Rura Pente. Yeah. Um no no that's fine. Uh, it's just Rura Pente parts of it, specifically the subplot with the shapeshifter and Kirk getting his end away. That's the only bit of the film that doesn't work for me. And Nicola, I believe you well, read something on this. Well, I didn't work for her either. She is quoted as saying that it was revolting having to kiss it, William Shatner. Yeah, Nicola, I believe you had some comments on uh, the the young shapeshifter and Shatner. Did I? I'm sure you were quite repulsed by that, and you said it's like, oh, it's just this, it's. Weren't you saying that it kind of like uh, it channels credulity that. She was so much younger. And I did say, well, she's a shapeshifter. No, you didn't. No, that wasn't Okay, right. I made this up, apparently. Yeah. I, in, uh... I don't know how he's having conversations. You make up with... arguments with your girlfriend. You should get enough of those without having to. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's he all true. They're obviously, they sound quite good, though, so I might partake in that. <laughs> I think you should now good. take that stance. But I know. In, in defence of it, though, she is playing him, so she maybe doesn't fancy him you know it's all part of an act I but mean, to be honest with you it, I'm a big fan of the Bond film so if I really could take issue with older men um, trying it on with younger ladies I'd have big issues with watching Bond films oh, so A View I to don't... a Kill where Roger Moore's about 97 <laughs> And, oh, it's embarrassing. So I don't know. Anyway. I don't think I really had that. Stuff. Okay, just want to give a quick shout out to Divorce Kelly in this film as well. The way his yep. reactions throughout, like the fact that he gets to uh, do surgery when the Klingon ultimately dies, the general, mm. and then he goes like, "I try to save him. I, I was desperate to save him." Oh, and yeah. then, yeah. And then there's another minute later, you know, another bit later during the Ruripento scenes where he's so just annoyed by Kirk, and it's like, yeah. uh, "Do you still think we're finished?" More than ever, you know. It's it's, it's uh, DeForest Kelly at his most DeForest Kelly. Yeah, he's great, and uh, I like that him and Spock get a moment together at the end where they perform surgery on the torpedo, and they sort of do each other's catchphrases almost Spock says do you want to perform surgery on a torpedo and McCoy says fascinating it's just yeah. a lovely <laughs> moment between the two characters yeah no it's it's nice they you know they managed to fit in everything and I'm glad they don't feel the need with all that's going on in this movie to overdo the like try and push everything in so like there, there isn't that much of the um, McCoy Spock rivalry in this one. There's a little susan no. of it. It's just it's just pushed in there just enough without trying to fit everything into the point where it feels yeah. overcrowded, which is nice. Right. I, I'm glad they made Absolutely. that Absolutely. And so moving on then to kind of the end of the film, we've obviously got all the action and adventure and everything like that. But mm-hmm. what, and the romance. Do you, don't forget the romance. What, what do you think about the last couple of scenes then from Kirk saving the president? 
up to the last scene on the bridge and the voiceover and everything? What's everybody's thoughts there? Perfect. Just perfect. I like it. Well, I like how we see it at the end. Even though the Klingons have uh, locked him away, that Kirk has come out of it and he has his embrace that they have to have this peace and he's saved. I can't remember her name. Um, the female Klingon. Yeah, he saves her from the assassins. And they have that moment where they say, you've restored my father's faith and you've restored my son's, which is a yeah. lovely... Yes. Exchange between it is, it's, them. Yeah, he's come full circle. And I like at the beginning the... of the movie. His attitude is come full circle. Yeah, and that's where, and it and it is it, it's, I've, like as you said at the start, where he's meant to be the hero and he's got this really negative attitude towards it all. I think having watched it so many times, I wouldn't like to think how many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it does. It gets. You can get away with that because you know he comes out as a good guy and he's embraced Absolutely. it all and he has saved it. Well, yeah, and there's there's some lovely little, like, you know, uh, it, it, there's this lovely bit near the end there where you've got uh, Scotty, who's the one who fires on the Klingon upstairs. I believe he's yeah. the one who fires on it. And he kind of just turns and he does this kind of like pose with the phaser. And it's just like completely impractical, but I love it. And it's like, there's so much which doesn't really make sense if you want to dissect it, which I did a little bit this time. Like, like why do they all pose on the stage where they've got... Yeah, Kirk's just it... saved the president, so he's gone up there to, to greet her and to... And suddenly all the Enterprise crews comes up to like pose for the cameras for no good yeah, reason. And even Sulu comes <laughs> up and joins them. So he's like, okay, I wasn't part of this particular thing, but I am part of the cast. Yeah, so exactly. I'm going to come up here. And you've got the earlier bit <laughs> you know where, they, where they do come up with the idea of, uh, of using the torpedo to get the you know, Klingon ship, which is quite... Like, yeah. if they could have done that, like within a five minute conversation, no one's ever thought of that before. Nope. I mean... It's, no, you don't need to do that. But I it's, don't care. It, I don't care any of no, that. No, it doesn't stuff. matter. It doesn't matter. It, it works. Yeah. It's great. And then that last scene on the bridge, again, you've got this melancholic music and you get the thing where you have to go be decommissioned. We've been recalled to Starbase. Yeah, and then you get Kirk giving the second star to the right and everything. It's just well, absolutely fantastic. And if it wasn't for the champ, like, I think, unfortunately, and we will get there, but with the... And uh, Next Generation movies, it failed a bit with trying to give some cheesy one-liners to Data, which I just didn't think pulled off. Yeah. Whereas with, with Spock in this film, and with all the films pretty much, the ones which he got did work. Like like when he goes, you know, if I were a human, I think I would say, to hell. <laughs> no, it's a, well, what, what is it? Go is to it? Uh, if I were yeah. human, go I to hell. my response would be, go to hell. Yeah. yeah. It's just if brilliant. And again, it's... It's the character acknowledging how far he's come, you know, yeah. and it, it is just everybody gets that perfect send off, I think. And even the way they do the credits where they, they all sign the signatures on the Starfield, it just looks great. Well, I mean, just with just with Chekhov, he just gives a little smile at that moment, but it, it's yeah. perfect. It's, it's just so yeah. well. Second start to the right and onwards till morning. Straight yeah, on till morning. Last thoughts, anybody? I have one. I have one, and it was a question from our uh, pilot episode, and you asked me about the Reliant model. Okay. And I've looked into this, and it's the torpedo part Uh that is upside down. 
So then the right. cells should be the other way with that on the bottom. Well, I don't think we can find a finer note to end it on than some really deep cut trivia. Well, yeah, um, I mean, we wouldn't be, be Trekkies if we didn't go for something absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We've been Retrek, so thank you to Captain Squee. Thank you. To Ambassador Nicola. Thank you. And to the Admiral Elliot. Thank you. We'll be back next time where we're going to be jumping into the future and looking at a couple of the next generation films. Thank you for trekking with us. We'll retrek with you next week. <laughs>